Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Today, I want to talk about a culture of revival. I want to conclude our series that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. This has been such a powerful series. We've heard from pastors and and friends that have spoken into this topic from Zambia to France to Malibu to Jeffreys Bay. Um, And Pastor Mark shared such a great message last week. And these messages have been life changing. We want to make a difference. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to take part in this great narrative of redemption that God has for our lives. And so the question is, how does revival come about? We've almost seen a few differing views come through in some of the messages. And even when you read the scriptures, it can be seen from different perspectives. The question, one question was posed is, is revival ongoing? Is it something that started the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and still continues every day? And that we just need to get into that river, that flow of revival and become a part of it and allow ourselves to be moved by the the love of God and and, and be moved in love for others. Is that revival? Is it an ongoing thing? Or is it something that we need to pray for? Are there certain steps that we need to take before revival happens in a local context? And, And, you know, we had the question about, is there something that we should do? Or is it something that God does sovereignly of his own accord? Can we be those that usher revival in? And what does that look like? And so is it God or is it us? Is it ongoing or do we need to produce it or, or have it start in a local context? And the truth is that it's both. It's both of those things. It's both an ongoing thing that started on the day of Pentecost, but it's also something that we want to see in our lifetimes as an expression through this local body and this local community. It's something that God wants to do right now through us, but it's also a part of what God has been doing, what God has, has even done before the foundations of the earth. It's both something that God does sovereignly because He wills it, because He desires it, because He wants to make a difference in people's lives, but it's something He also impresses on our hearts to pray for and to participate in. And so these ideas actually come together and find their context in, or, or what we do is found in the context of what God is doing. He moves in our hearts, both to will and to do. And so today I get to conclude that series, bringing all those different things together. And, uh, and, and I love just looking at the early church. Whenever I'm talking about revival, whenever I'm talking about a move of God, which is what the church should really be, I love looking at the early church because they were so raw. If you think about it for a moment, the people in the early church did not have a formula. Nobody had ever done it. Today we look back at what has happened in revivals in history, in moments of revival or pockets of revival in history. And we say, well, that's how we can be a part of it. But when the early church was, was stepping into that moment of history that God had ordained, they had no formula. No one had ever done it before. There were no formulas. There were no models. There were no strategies. There were no conferences to attend. You just had ordinary people doing it for the first time. That's what we see in the book of Acts, when the acts of the early church started. The truth is, is that even though we only have 28 chapters in the book of Acts, that story 
of God's people that are moved by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, is that the book of Acts never ended. You and I are still a part of the book of Acts. We are still a part of that journey. We're still a part of that movement that began back then. And every single person, including every individual watching this today, has a role to play in what God desires to do. It's easy for you to think that, you know, I'm just on the fringes. I'm not really a part of this whole thing. I'm just tuning in for the first time. I, you know, I, I've never really pursued something like this in my life. But you're not. You're not on the fringes. Every single one of us gets to contribute. And that's the great news, that we don't have to be good enough, smart enough, theologically qualified enough. We simply need to know Jesus and allow him to move us as we pursue the things that he has prepared for us. In Acts 17, verse 6, it shows us a little bit about what it looks like when people are switched on in this relationship with Jesus. In Acts 17, verse 6, it says, And when they could not find them, talking about the disciples, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What a thing to be known for. Their reputation preceded them. They weren't just a group of people quietly meeting on a Sunday morning, you know, and then going about their business. They weren't just isolated and, and kind of privatized in how they pursued the things of God. No, they were influential. This verse speaks of influence and movement and momentum. These were people that were affecting change in the world, in every city and town that they visited. Anchor Church, that's what I desire for us. That's what we desire as a community, not just to practice some sort of religious observance, but to be a part of a movement that influences change in the world. We want to be a church that makes an impact, that is a move of God, more than just some clever marketing, more than just a building and a group of people meeting together, more than just a set of programs. We want to be a move of God. How did the early church do it? As we read through the chaos of what took place in that first century as the church was birthed, there's some clear themes that arrive. And I want to read to you from Acts 1 to verse 11 as Luke writes here. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. To me, this is such a powerful scripture. To me, this is, this is, there, there's something so important. Jesus had done it all. He had taught. He had prepared. He had shown himself to be alive. And he had then ascended into heaven. And the angels say, in the same way that you saw him leave, he is coming back. So what are you waiting for? Why are you still standing around when God has given you everything that you need? to be a part of this coming revival, to be a part of this story, to be a part of this mission. In other words, these angels are saying, Jesus is coming back and time is limited. Let's get out there and do what God has ordained for us to do. He's already given us everything that we need. This reminded me of a time when my cousin and I, who have always watched rugby together, we've always got, gone to the stadiums and supported the Lions rugby team and the Springboks. We're passionate supporters. Um, and we always love going to the games live, taking in the atmosphere, shouting for the Springboks. Um, and, and, and so over the years, we've watched so many games together. And there was one year when the Springboks were playing really, really well. And there was a game that was coming up against the All Blacks. Now, if you know anything about rugby, you know that the Springboks versus the All Blacks is pretty much the ultimate matchup in rugby. And this match was happening at Ellis Park on a Saturday afternoon, and tickets were sold out three months in advance. There was no way you were getting into this game. My cousin and I really wanted to go, and so we tried every avenue to get tickets. We even went to an, a Legends match the night before and spoke to some of the old Springboks that were playing in that game and asked them randomly if they would give us tickets, or if they had tickets, and nobody had tickets um, for us to go. And so now it's game day, and we just can't let it go. We so badly want to go and watch the Springboks play. And so we came up with this plan, and, and, and I, to this day, don't know how this worked out. I think it may have been supernatural intervention. But the plan was that we were going to go through our phones and phone people at random and then ask them if they had tickets. And we were going to say it like this. Hey, we hear that you had an extra ticket for the rugby. Um, is, that, is that right? Have we heard correctly? And just see who would have tickets. And so we phoned a few people. Obviously, people just laughed and said, no, there's no ways we've got tickets. No one has tickets at this point, except for those that paid for them, you know, months in advance. And so we kept phoning. And at one point, about maybe an hour and a half before the game, we decide, hey, it's getting close, but let's make one or two more calls. And my cousin makes a phone call. And he says, uh, a friend of ours picks up and she says, hi, how's it going? And he says, hey, I hear your dad has some tickets to the rugby for us. And she just says, just, yeah, yeah, he does. Just hang on for a minute. And she goes away, comes and she says, definitely we'll meet you at the gate in an hour from now. And he puts the phone down and looks at me and we just go crazy. We couldn't believe that our plan had worked, that somebody had tickets for us. And then we had a little bit of doubt. We wondered whether they knew who they were speaking to or if there was some misunderstanding, if we'd get there and we wouldn't really have tickets. But we decided we were going to act in faith 
and we were going to drive through. We jumped in the car after high-fiving each other about 10 times, hugging, crying a little bit. We jumped in the car and we raced off to Ellis Park. There was no parking. You know, the match was about to start. The anthems were about to begin. Um, he eventually jumped out, ran. I parked the car, ran. We got to the gate, got the tickets, walked in, sitting on the center, on the halfway line, uh, in the center of the main stand. And uh, as we sat down, we stood up again to sing the national anthem. And God had just blessed us that day with being able to watch the rugby. And not only that, you know, the forces of light overcame the forces of darkness and the Springboks beat the All Blacks in a historic win. It was, it was a great day. But I was just thinking about how we responded when we found out that we actually had tickets, that we could actually be a part, that we didn't have to stay home and watch on TV and just be spectators. But we got to sing the anthem, that we got to be in the stadium, that we got to be a part of that victory that day. What it required was us jumping in the car by faith at that point, racing through, taking our tickets that had been given to us by grace and walking into the stadium to be a part of it. And I almost feel that this is what these angels are saying, these men that appeared are saying to, to those that were there when, when Jesus ascended. They, they were ultimately saying to Jesus, uh, they were ultimately saying, Jesus has done everything that you need. He has already given you the tickets. He's given you access. He's given you grace. He's empowered you. He's equipped you. He's, uh, you know, poured out his Holy Spirit. Why would you stay home? Why would you just simply stand staring up into the sky? Why would you, why would you get stuck in that moment rather than jumping at the opportunity to be a part of something historic? Church, we have an opportunity right now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. You can just simply walk in it by faith. Be a part of it. This is an amazing moment for these men, an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. Remember what happened to the disciples the last time that they thought that Jesus was gone, when he had been crucified and buried. You know, Peter gave up. He went back to fishing. He thought he was done and, you know, done with, you know, the whole Christian thing and the whole Jesus thing went back to his old life. The rest of the disciples were hiding in a room behind locked doors, just completely hidden away and afraid, not very courageous. But this time, this time things were a little different. This time, nobody was afraid. This time, people were not hiding. Peter didn't go back to fishing. They, they, they weren't, you know, trying to be too careful about their future. They were courageous. What was different between this time and the time before? Well, it tells us that Jesus had presented himself alive, that he had taught them about the kingdom of God, and with many proofs had shown that he was real. They had seen the wounds in his hands and in his feet. They had put their hands in his side like Thomas did. They had been in his presence. They had listened to his teachings. They knew that Jesus was alive. That's the difference. The extent to which you are convinced in your own heart of the reality of the presence of God and Jesus, his resurrection and the power of his resurrection. To that same degree, you will be a part of the revival. 
To that same degree, you will find yourself bold and courageous. To that same degree, you will step out and make a difference. How differently would we pray? Would we reach out? Would we, would we influence our city if we were convinced that Jesus was alive and that he was coming back? He presented himself and they knew this. So it wasn't about formulas. It wasn't about programs, but about people who had seen Jesus, who knew that he was alive, who believed in what he called them to do. Eventually, these ordinary men and women in the book of Acts, they become a part of the single biggest movement in the history of the world. This move that we're still a part of today, and Luke speaks about it as he starts writing this account. He says, in my former account, talking about the gospel of Luke, I wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Revival starts through Jesus and in Jesus. And what's inferred here is that it's still Jesus. He's still the one who does it. We often pray for revival, and I believe that we should pray that God would continue to express that revival through our lives and our community. And we often speak about the things that we should do in order to be in a place to receive that revival. But we can very easily go into a formula mindset where it's about we must, we must, we must. If we want this, we must do this. But the disciples saw the greatest revival simply through their understanding that Jesus is the one doing it. But how does God apply it through our lives? Well, if my first point is that it starts with Jesus, my second point is that it's through God's Spirit. You know, we rely on the power of God's Spirit. It reminded me of a story my dad told me about when he was a student growing up in Stellenbosch, and they wanted to get from Stellenbosch into the city of Cape Town, but they didn't have transport. And so they found an old car that had no engine, and they, would, they cleaned it up and made it look like a really nice car, and they would push it along the main road um, and, and, and wave people down asking for a lift. And people would stop and they'd say, sorry, this, our car's broken down and we just need to get to the city um, and we can just get the parts that we need and we can come back and fix our car. Can you just give us a lift into the city? And this is how these students got free transport into the city every day. But if you had opened up the hood of the car, if anybody had taken a look at it, they would have seen there was no engine. And that's what our lives are like without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can, we can look great on the outside. Yes, we can, the car can be polished and everything can look great. But the engine that drives our lives and our mission before God is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper and He will abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows Him nor sees Him, but you know Him for he dwells with you and will be in you. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And through that presence, we are able to do things that would normally have been impossible for us to do. Sometimes people say that we need more of the Spirit. And so we need to do what we can to receive more of the Spirit. But I already believe that when you are filled with the Spirit, that you are filled with the Spirit. There, there's nothing more for us to receive beyond operating in the power that we have already been given. And that's important for us to know. Some people see the Holy Spirit like static electricity. You know, when you walk around in your room, especially now in winter time, 
when everything is dry and, and, and you walk around and you rub your feet in the carpet and you touch somebody, you touch something metal and all of a sudden it releases a static charge. And so many times in my life, I've seen operating by the power of the Holy Spirit in that way. Like I've got to pray enough, I've got to do enough, I've got to read enough Bible, I've got to you know, present myself before God enough times. And when I've done enough of that, then all of a sudden I've stored up enough energy to be able to, to zap somebody with prayer or zap some change in somebody's life. Like it's something that I had to store up, um, some sort of energy I had to store up. But that's not what our relationship with God is like. The Holy Spirit is a person and He is present in our lives and He works through us by His grace. He has chosen to, to work through us as His witnesses. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Now, if you think about a witness, if they call a witness in a court case to come and testify, a witness is somebody who has seen. And this is really, you know, what spurs our, our revival, our movement, is that we have seen Jesus and we continue to see him. We continue to be witnesses. We have seen. And so we get to declare, we get to speak of the things that we have seen. A witness is someone who describes an event to someone else or gives testimony of a person to somebody else. And God loves people. We've seen how Jesus is a friend of sinners. He is the, the father of the prodigal son who, who throws his, his arms around someone returning home. He falls on the neck of sinners. And it's this heart that we witness about. We go to those in our world and we say, I wasn't worthy. I had sinned. But God embraced me. He fell on my neck and he kissed me much. And I didn't deserve any of it. But here I am today, a child of God, the righteousness of God by my faith in Jesus. And you can have that too. It's a free gift. This is what we're able to be witnesses of. It's why we're here to show those that others have rejected that God accepts them. God wants us to love the people that no one loves and reach our world with the good news of a God who has done all to save them. But sometimes, church, we are caught looking into the sky. We are caught being distracted, gazing at, at what we have just seen, stuck in the past, caught up in our daily experiences. We're so focused, perhaps, even on our experience of, of what we need from church. Oh, I just need a worship today. I just need a word from God today. I just need some encouragement today. And we can so quickly begin to live out a faith that is centered on what we need. Rather than knowing that in Christ, we have everything that we need. And therefore, the Holy Spirit can push us towards others. Yes, as Pastor Mark spoke last week so powerfully, we rest in the finished work of the cross. But from that place of rest, we're also pushed by the love of God. As Paul said, the love of Christ compels me to reach out to our world. There's no way that your resting would lead to complacency. In fact, it would lead to action. We act from a place of rest. Just like these people standing there on the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, were so focused on the experience they just had 
and the moment that they had just seen, all of a sudden, they get asked the question, why are you standing here, staring into the sky? What are you waiting for? Jesus is going to return. There is limited time. So get going. Let's go out. Let's make a difference. Let's share. Let's pray. Let's trust. Let's have influence in our world. Let's not get caught staring at our own agendas or our own experiences. But let's get out there and reach the people that God has put us here to reach. You were saved. You received the Spirit. And you have been called to a purpose. And when we live in this knowledge of who Jesus is as ones who have seen him, we will begin to develop a culture of revival. And it is a revival that we will continue to be a part of in this moment of history that God has given us as a gift. And we will make a difference in our city and in many cities across the globe. Anchor Church, God has called us and we have a great future. Thank you for watching with us today. We know that God is going to begin stirring some things inside of you. And we encourage you to surrender to that and to trust in Him for more. And start taking those steps of faith. If you've got the tickets, don't wait for the game to be over. Get out there and make a difference.